Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 62. Hi, everyone. This is Vienna calling. My name is Eleanor and welcome to ICC Austria Talks Trade Finance. This episode is part of ICC Austria's Trade Finance Week. As some of you may know, ICC Austria has been hosting its annual flagship conference for more than a decade. And we are pleased and honored to have so many fans and friends around the world. From the moment the week was born, we knew that we wanted to create a truly international platform for bank guarantee experts and SC specialists alike. Today, on average, we welcome participants from more than 50 different countries. However, the country count is not what motivates us, but the sincere belief that dispute resolution and what is more important, conflict prevention, starts with understanding each other. A successful and conflict-free trade finance transaction should be governed by UCP 600 or URDG 758, but it is sustained by seeing the other party's perspective, by understanding their point of view. Therefore, I'm extremely delighted to welcome Knapna Ayrevi from Africa Bank and Isaac Mahanka from Standard Bank South Africa, who kindly agreed to share their African perspective on digitization, compliance, and sustainability trade finance latest buzzwords. The session will be moderated by my dear friend Deepish Patel from Trade Finance Global, our exclusive media partner. Deepish, the screen is yours. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and thanks, Eleanor Trey, for handing over the baton and continuing Trade Finance Week online. My name is Depesh Patel, editor at Trade Finance Global and host of the podcast Trade Finance Talks. Wow, what an incredible week. It's always the highlight of my year, Trade Finance Week by Austria, by ICC Austria. And we're continuing Trade Finance Week with this international education panel focusing on Africa joining us today. Now, for trade, global supply chains and access to finance, the past 15 months or so have been incredibly tough for lives and economies around the world due to the COVID-19 pandemic. But trade must go on. And if anything, the pandemic has accelerated efforts to rethink the way we do trade. Is paper really necessary? And is there a way we can rethink trade documents? How is trade-based financial crime fed? And what must we do to keep bad actors out of the trade system? And is this finally an opportunity to bring sustainability right to the forefront as a business imperative rather than just a, a nice to have? So today I'm joined by two seasoned experts and we're running a quick fire educational interview series on three really pertinent topics in global trade and trade finance, which is trade digitization, risk and compliance and sustainability. I'm joined by Kwabina Ayirabi from Afraxim Bank, joining us with a wealth of experience at HSBC in trade and receivables finance in many jurisdictions. 
and also Isaac Mahanke, Group Head of Traditional Trade Products at Standard Bank, joining us from South Africa. And Isaac manages and has a wealth of experience in demand guarantees, letters of credit and foreign bills of collection. So first of all, quick introduction from both of you. Kwabina, can you start, please? Thank you very much, Dipesh. And, and I'm really grateful to ICC Austria for giving us this opportunity to have an African conversation. So I'm talking to you from sunny Cairo, where we are heading into summer, where trade, there's a confluence of trade here. You would have seen the recent happenings on the Suez Canal, but also going through a pandemic where things have really shaped our, our thoughts around trade and trade for Africa. So at Frexum Bank, we were set up to promote trade, focus on intra-African trade, as well as the industrialization of the continent. For us, digitization, is a key foundation for our strategy as we move into the future. And we think this is a pertinent conversation to be having. I wish I could say coming at the tail end of the pandemic, but we never know. But at least I think things are improving. So thank you, ICC Austria, for this opportunity. Pleasure to meet you, Dipesh. Pleasure to meet you, Isaac. Thank you. Isaac, over to you. Thank you. Pleasure to meet you, Kwabeda, as well as Dipesh. And thank you, ICC Austria, for giving me this opportunity again to come and provide an African view on such important topics. As you mentioned, Dipesh, so I'm coming in from South Africa. Unfortunately for us, it's very cold. We're going to the deep end of winter, and this week is particularly very cold. We've got a number of cold fronts that have uh, come across shore, and we are feeling it as we speak. So I work for Standard Bank Group, which is uh, one of the largest banks on the sub-Saharan Africa, and we're present in 20 countries. I work for the trade finance function, and we look after all trade solutions throughout the 20 countries that we are present in. And we help a lot of multinationals as well as local corporates, either interact with international suppliers or importers or exporters, and we help with trade solutions throughout. So as we are in the third wave of the COVID-19, we are cognizant that such topics are quite important. So digitization, I think, is a really key uh, topic which will help us uh, either accelerate or open certain conversations with key players to help us accelerate growth in Africa because at the end of the day, trade has not stopped even though we are amongst the pandemic. Compliance as well is a very important topic as our regulators are also trying to grapple with all different types of challenges that are coming from the world and also among Africa ourselves to make sure that we protect everyone, as well as financial information involved, as well as sustainability. It's a really important topic we see globally. It's a gaining momentum. And as Africa, we would like to provide a view as well to say how we participate and ensure that we live a sustainable life for our kids in the future. Thank you so much. And looking forward to this discussion and conversation. Thank you very much, Isaac. And what a great introduction from you both. And as yourself and as Leo said, this is about those three kind of buzzwords that are being flung around. But we're going to go into a lot more detail and talk about the real imperative behind them. And, and per your first topic, trade digitalization. And Isaac, I'll, I'll actually start with you. Why is trade digitalization such a focus now for the trade and the trade finance industry? I think it has always been a focus. It has been driven quite slow for us to move away from traditionally heavy dependent on manual documentation in the trade finance world. It's just that now, given the COVID pandemic that accelerated the need for us to rethink how do we actually approach trade and how do we approach the way we work and how do we approach the way we interact safely. So some of these conversations, we're still tabled among various stakeholders, but at the moment, what the pandemic has done, as well as some of the 
key initiatives that were in the back burner has come to the forefront. And now it requires us to face it up front to say, how do we actually look at trade and look at digitization? Because trade is a very old industry, but I think we're at a cross path now. And I think for us to grow into the future, we need digitization because for us to facilitate conversation among all stakeholders throughout the world who have an input in a trade transaction, you need digitization for you to get into that communication cycle. So it is quite important at the moment that given the back of the pandemic, given that we're going outside pandemic, in Africa itself, looking at the free trade agreement that has been signed, for us to facilitate that instrument, it's very important to look into modernizing the way we interact with one another and trade digitization into the forefront of that. And I think as Africa, it's important that we are championing some of these initiatives. So it's very important for us at the moment to partner with a lot of fintechs as well as other banks and other stakeholders to look at how do we digitize trade. And Dipesh, if, if I may add to that, at Frexim Bank, we see we've got quite a significant role to play in the journey that Isaac referred to around operationalizing the Continental Free Trade Agreement. A lot of things that we are doing is effectively to provide a foundation to that. We run a survey on the impact of COVID-19 on trade finance across the continent, which was released in April. We looked at some of those questions around the impact of how people have had to address how they work within the trade finance industry in an environment where there were clear constraints on the ability to continue the paper process. And the outcome was quite telling that effectively a lot of people had to shape the way that they do business. We see it as a foundation for us. We also take it beyond even the physical trade documentation because we see that underpinning that whole digital agenda is access to information. So we are setting out a number of initiatives where digital is really at the core and ultimately to facilitate trade. So we've got initiatives cutting across the compliance, KYC elements, information in terms of what's available on the continent, accessing regulatory information as well, and then being able to end that with payment across the different channels. So I hope I'll have the opportunity to expand on those But for us, it is very much at the forefront of how we want to contribute to operationalizing the AFCFTA. Thanks very much. I mean, can you be lovely for you to go into a bit more detail about how and why digitalizing various elements of the AFCTFA is good and how this actually benefits African SMEs? That's a really valid point. So look, if I try and take you through, we've got a way we illustrate this and it's a shame we're not where we could present. Right now, we think if you took that whole trade ecosystem, somebody wants to start off by identifying market opportunities. What is available on the continent? Where are the raw materials? Where are the finished goods? Where can I access all of this? The intervention we're doing for this is what we call our trade information portal, where effectively it becomes a one-stop shop for you to get information on everything Africa. The next step for us on that journey is understanding the markets in which you want to play, uncovering the market rules, the market regulations, etc. And this is going to be delivered through what we call the trade uh, regulatory information portal. So first, you know what is available, then you understand the regulation in which you're going to play in. Now, once you've understood the market, the next step is identifying the counterparties that you want to do business with, right? So you want to vet them you want to verify that they are who they say they are. 
And that is where our Mansa platform comes in. This provides a one-stop single source primary data for KYC. In other jurisdictions, some of these repositories tend to focus on financial institutions. We go beyond financial institutions to cooperate to SMEs who we understand will remain the foundation to the transformational journey that the continent wants to go along. Then once you've done that, you need to be able to transact with your customers, right? So we've got a trade exchange where you can have that e-marketplace availability for the continent. So this is a snapshot. We call it the bank of the future. Maybe we should also call it the trade finance for Africa for the future. Thank you very much. And I think that's a really good roadmap. And, and it's very good that you've signposted the trade information portal, Mansa, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's hugely important for SMEs to be able to use to find market opportunities. Isaac, I'm going to go back to you and let's talk about the financing. So from a perhaps from a standard bank perspective and SMEs, can SMEs use tools like what Corbina mentioned earlier, to actually help them not only find opportunities, but then access finance in a seamless way using some of those digital tools, perhaps, or even perhaps some of the initiatives that you're working on at the bank. Correct, uh, Dipesh. As Corbina has mentioned, some of these portals are quite important in Africa for us to help our SMEs get information in terms of for them to be able to access markets. So this will enable them to connect with suppliers either on the continent or across the world. And then having that, they are able to rely that the participant or the counterparties that they are interacting with are reliable. So this is where the banks are quite key to come in and validate these parties and do background checks and try and provide that sort of comfort to SMEs to say that if you're sourcing from international suppliers, the bank can give you that trusted intermediary to say that these are trusted suppliers that you can deal with. And such information is very key at the moment. So, and it enables us to be able to understand what type of goods are moving in and out of the continent, how important and key they are as part of the different countries' needs. And as a bank, we are able to, because of such information available, we're able to provide uh, financing quite easily because we have information available. It is with trusted partners and we are able to help our SMEs grow in the, uh, what you call it, the quickest way for them to be able to access finance cheaper as well as much reliable and quite quicker. So it is quite key in some of the initiatives that we're involved in. We've also deployed certain portals whereby we connect some of the small SMEs, aggregate them and make sure that they can meet large buyers overseas. And such platforms is there supported by African Bank, Standard Bank. It does provide that credibility that we are able to provide integrity into the whole trade value chain and digitization at the forefront of that enable us to have that because then you have data points for you to guide what type of financing you can provide at which data points and at which timing as well because timing is also important to ensure that the supply chain is equally liquidated and sufficiently financed throughout. I agree with Kwabena right there to say that these type of portals that whereby banks move away, not necessarily move away, but incorporate these ecosystems or these non-traditional banking platforms to try and help connect the world with the SMEs on the ground. Because at the end of the day, these SMEs are the ones that connect with the people on the ground, are able to provide jobs as well as grow the economy one SME at a time. And Dipesh, there's a point that uh, Isaac made that I think is pertinent. It's the collaboration between institutions, multilateral institutions like ourselves and pan-African institutions like Standard Bank. So we are not on the ground everywhere across the continent. We provide the enablers 
and then work with banks like Standard Bank to make sure it reaches the productive part of the economy, the SMEs that we are talking about today. No, I think that partnership piece is is incredibly important to essentially act as that glue between the DFIs and the multilaterals and the regional banks. I also completely agree that using data in a smart way to provide access to information and that kind of signposting service through a portal is absolutely critical in that SME journey when it comes to access to finance. But I'm actually going to leave the topic now onto regulation and rules and governance, because I actually think that could well be quite critical in terms of providing that framework for digitalization. And actually, we are in a place right now where we're seeing lots of digital islands and lots of silos all operating very differently from each other. We're also seeing a lack of standards, perhaps, that have not yet been created to standardize those rules for trade, which allow different countries to interoperate and work with each other. Isaac, and I guess given your experience as well in and around the ICC, what can the ICC as a convener of some of these rules do to help accelerate various policies and frameworks to enable standards and standardization to ultimately help SMEs access that financing? ICC plays a very important role as one of the largest organizations in the world where a lot of businesses have joined the ICC and they as a trusted partner. These rules are quite key to and are enablers to help us collaborate together based on standardized rules. And it does promote harmony among stakeholders. So look, as much as there are a lot of digital islands that we needed to start from somewhere, but now to bring them together, you need standardized rules or harmonious rules that can enable everyone else to communicate with one another to ensure that there is promotion of fairness, there is promotion of transparency, and there is regulation as well as integrity within the whole value chain. So these rules bring that element of integrity as well as that element of understanding in that if I had to issue a guarantee in South Africa and I had to issue to a partner either in Egypt or anywhere in China or anywhere in Europe, we all speak the same language. We may not all speak the same language, but however, in terms of standards, it guides us and does provide that integrity. I've joined one of the subgroup, a working subgroup in ICC, where we're now trying to commercialize these rules because these rules have been established, they've been released, but however, there's a slow pickup. And I think the slow pickup is mainly because we need more advocacy, either through a lot of partners, either through collaboration as institutions or through corporates all through national committees that are found in each and every area, as well as government entities. So we need a lot of advocates to raise a lot of awareness among these rules in terms of what are the benefits these rules provide, as well as how can they help and accelerate trade. So these rules are quite important as they provide that harmonious trade flow throughout the system. That is my input around the rules. If I were again to refer back to the impact of COVID-19 on trade that I referenced earlier. So we also specifically asked respondent banks on the impact of regulations in addressing the constraints that the pandemic provided. And whilst a majority of them felt that their central banks had intervened to make ad hoc rules, etc., the consensus was that all of these were just purely stopgap measures and that the foundational regulatory frameworks needed to change to allow them to move into this digital era. And it's also a point around getting stakeholders in the different countries to understand the technological shifts that are happening. So let's talk about things like electronic signatures, right? The ability for people to seamlessly accept 
the validity of an e-signature globally will make a transformational impact. But the question would be, how many countries on our continent already have some of those principles embedded into local regulations? You take things like the acceptability of e-bills of lading. Look, it's been quite a number of years. These have moved on, but we've got countries that will still want to see a physical bill of lading before goods might be released from a port. What we need to do now is to take the work of ICC. We just need ICC to visibly partner with institutions like us who's, and Standard Bank who have an incentive to promote these across the continent and just advocate to the point that Isaac made. Advocate for the adoption and adoption of these electronic rules into local regulations. We need that foundation Otherwise, we'll keep running into constraints. Thank you very much, Corbina. And I think advocacy and education are probably two of the key words I pull from this first strand on trade digitalization. We'll now move on to our second strand, which is around compliance and risk, which has been incredibly at the front of mind for lots over the past 15 months. And uh, Isaac, I'll start with you. What are the current trends in trade-based financial crime? Has the pandemic worsened this, in your opinion? I think it has worsened this in that you're finding a lot of regulators across the continent responding with more rules and regulations and require more reporting that are much more onerous now on either financial institutions or other organizations to provide more information. These bills being drafted around data privacy, which also increase the friction around uh, data sharing among countries as well as countries across the board. So such rules and such trends are increasing in compliance, which is very important to ensure that we protect data, we protect everyone else. But however, we find that these trends are sort of like getting us uh, on a back foot. What we need right now, uh, probably with incorporation of uh, digitization, we need partners that can help us with robust virtual background checks, as well as verification process. That will give comfort to a number of regulators to say, if goods are coming in, you are able to get comfort to say from what is the source of these goods. You are able to understand who are the partners that are, or the counterparties that are on a trade transaction. to easily screen them or probably provide a KYC functions as quick as possible. Otherwise, then we find ourselves having to add more hurdles towards a trade transaction. So those are the trends that are coming up a lot in Africa. It's more regulations and more reporting and regulators that, that are required. Data privacy rules are becoming more stricter. You find instances whereby we're trying to bring in cloud in a number of areas. But I ever questions such as that information, when it sits in the cloud, who does that information belong to? Who can have access to that information? Who can do what with that information? The concept of consent, where do you get, uh, at what stage you get consent and at what stage can you access that information and or bring it back in? So I think around compliance, these are the trends that we're seeing in Africa. But however, I think they are also met with some of the challenges or some of the solutions that some of the stakeholders are actually embarking on to say, how do we address it to provide more comfort to our regulators? So it's not to try and circumvent them, but it's to provide more comfort to our regulators and to also bring that element of transparency, integrity, and what you call it, the whole value chain. Kobina, is this an opportunity rather than a challenge in the sense that we can now look at utilizing new technologies to increase transparency, which is ultimately what the consumer and, and what our SMEs want, and to accelerate that pace 
That's absolutely right. Again, an opportunity to say that we could not have embarked on that Mansan journey at a more timely point. It's been a few years, but effectively what we are providing is that visibility. The comfort to a bank like Standard Bank that you can go to a single source, get information on that SME who you're seeing for the first time, get information on its ultimate beneficial ownership, etc. What we're doing now is taking that whole Mansa platform even a step further. In line with some of the global legal entity identifier initiatives, Mansa is also going to do the same so that we have a single reference point for African entities. Then it doesn't matter working with them on the continent. You are able to use that legal entity identifier through Mansa to get all the visibility that you need on that entity. For us, that means it improves the transparency. Look, at the end of the day, and I'm sure Isaac would agree with me, for us, risk perceptions on Africa are simply that. They are perceptions. The gap between that risk perception and the reality for those of us who work on the continent is very wide. So as much as we can make information available to the parties that we trade with, the better for the continent. No, agreed. I think that is quite key because we may be viewed as if though we've got a larger appetite for compliance of the African continent, but are ever being on the ground being able to surface such information that is trusted, partnering with African Bank and other organizations, it does provide that trust within the very chain so that it can enable partners across the world to be able to trade with Africa, to be able to trust that that information is reliable and can be used in any of the financing solutions. So I think that is quite key. I think Kwabena is, is correct in saying that this also creates a huge opportunity for us to come up with these solutions, for us to be able to bring the world back to Africa to say, look, these are some of the initiatives that we embarked on. This is where you can actually find information. If we play that pivotal role to be the bridge or the gateway into Africa, we will see an immense improvement, especially trust being brought into the whole compliance value chain. Mansa is a great example of something that could be used as a blueprint in terms of LEIs in other areas and other trade zones around the world, which really shows, you know, Africa's really leading the way when it comes to digital identities and digital identifiers, etc. Isaac, question for you, and I guess in the context of the African Continental Free Trade Agreement, do cross-border privacy laws and data protection laws or recent advances in those Are they becoming easier or more difficult in the context of AFCTFA? I would say it's both. So we see more laws being introduced, which making it a bit more difficult. But however, with our stakeholders explaining the reasons for such laws being introduced, it does provide an opportunity for all the members of the Africa Trade Agreement to all agree and establish common rules that everyone will understand. So it does provide that opportunity for everyone to advance very good ideas to say, okay, if we look at data privacy laws, what are we required to put forth so that anyone else that would trade in Botswana all the way to Egypt will understand that if I've done KYC on a company in South Africa, if they trade and they go all the way to Egypt, they don't have to do that function again. So I think it provides opportunity for us to put our best foot forward where the regulators will say, this is what we believe will protect the consumer as well as the regulator along the journey. So I think it does provide that huge opportunity. The introduction of more rules sometimes is not necessarily a bad idea. However, if we understand the intention behind it and we all collaborate and debate it, 
and bring ideas that can probably firm up that rule and everyone else understand this and subscribe to it, I think it will provide a good avenue for us to actually promote intercontinental trade. Kwabina, what in your opinion does sustainable trade finance mean to you and why is it such a hot topic right now? For a continent that is reliant a lot at this point in time on primary agricultural produce, I think we need to appreciate what sustainability means for us. Because until we get to the point where a major part of our economies are transformed into a value-added point, we need to ensure we are protecting our environment. So for us, sustainability is very much understanding that the resources available to us are limited and that in our pursuit for growth and development, we do not do so while sacrificing that future. However, having said that, I think it's also important to understand where the continent is, which is why sometimes there is that dilemma between going all out sustainability in terms of the things we do versus being pragmatic. Most of our countries are deficient in terms of access to energy. So when it comes to difficult decisions around, do you support the construction of a hydroelectric dam or not? It is not an easy decision to make, right? It's a very simple thing to say, no, we will not do it because the world frowns on hydroelectric power. But if that is a balance between thinking through the transformation of a whole country, then we will ensure that all the necessary safeguards are in place, natural historic habitats are fully protected, indigenous people and their livelihoods are protected. We will invest in those mitigation actions to ensure that whilst development happens, it does so sustainably for our member countries. Thank you very much. And Isaac, I'm going to ask you, I think it's a fairly difficult question, but the nature of trade or trade between countries is such that it promotes economies of scale. It brings down price. It increases competition and innovation. That's inherently unsustainable in its nature. So how can trade really be sustainable? Currently, you're getting a lot of pressure mainly from a lot of consumers as well as investors, whereby, which is also encouraging meaning that they're able to put their money where their mouth is. So meaning that everyone else wants to source goods from a responsible um, production. So therefore, it's a journey that we need to embark on. It's not something that we can get there quickly. But however, with investors saying that they want to look at more green projects, and they like to support such green sourcing of products or much more responsible products. I think it's a journey that we all need to take along and look at all the risks that Corbin has mentioned that we cannot accelerate it and get to where the rest of the world is because we still have certain challenges such as poverty, which is rampant among the, among the continent. And then you also have certain industries that if you were to introduce a little element of complete uh, sustainability, it could eradicate their source of income and that could probably counter what you're trying to achieve. So I think it's a journey that we need to embark on. It's not an easy one. But however, I do believe that trade is sustainable. If we define the framework to say we want to align to where everyone else is and, and join where Paris agreement was signed around the sustainability. But however, it's a journey. We need to make sure that everyone else is brought along. We look at all the risks as well as all the opportunities this uh, sustainability will bring. If we have partners and investors that are willing to be patient and actually invest and make sure that 
where we are trying to support these primary industries where they rely primarily on agriculture, mining, as well as other forms of mineral resources. We need to try and see how do we support them now with a view that in future we need to try and protect the environment and try and protect our source of income at the same time. So it's a journey, it's a very difficult one, but I do believe that um, trade finance is sustainable in the long run. We just need to take baby steps in bringing everyone along and collaborate with one another and not necessarily jump 10 steps where we can leave everyone else behind. Yeah, I think you've hit it in one there. It really is a business imperative if you take a medium to long-term view. Why would one want to finance the production of a mine when you take into account the implication that has on the people, the resources over, let's say, a five or 10 or a 20 year time span. And I think Corbini yourself at Afrix Bank, and especially on some of the larger projects and infrastructure deals, you'll be taking things like that into consideration, right? Oh, yes. That's front and center of, of what we do. It's an area that we are resourcing ourselves up. It's a core part of every single credit decision that we make. You might call it a mundane trade finance transaction. We will go through a sustainability assessment. We will identify the risks. We will ensure it is appropriately mitigated before it goes through our credit decisioning process. But always having that balance between where we need to get to as a continent, but protecting the future of our continent. Thank you very much. And Corbina, lots of people talk about the E in ESG, and and actually I think we forget about the societal, the S and, and the governance G. Why is this so? And what are the important considerations when you think about the S and the G? It gives a very holistic framework, okay? And that which, because you cannot just talk about sustainability on its own. We're talking about the whole development of a people, of a continent and their growth, their aspirations, etc. So I think it's important always to take a holistic view. So whilst I might have referenced sustainability and the environmental impact assessments that we do in terms of our assessment, actually, one of the key part of our decision-making process is impact. So we do a holistic impact on every single transaction that we do. So for $1 that we put into this transaction, into this project, what is it doing holistically? How many jobs are we creating? What is our impact on the GDP of the country? So it's always important for us to take that holistic view of every single intervention that we do on the continent. Thank you very much. And thank you for disclosing that. I think it's really important for our audience to understand that these impact assessments really do look beyond the immediate ROI per dollar invested. Isaac, I'm going to ask you a question. I guess given the short-term self-liquidating nature and the short-termness of trade finance, can we really price sustainable trade finance in a way that works for Standard Bank, say? Look, I think we can. I think what has been missing is data points to help us guide and look at the impact that, um, as Kwabena has mentioned, around both social as well as corporate governance, as well as sustainability of the environment. But I think some of the governments have started certain initiatives as well as certain incentives to say, such as carbon tax. That gives us a view or gives us data points for us to be able to see how do we price some of the loans or some of the trade finance loans that we provide at the back of these export and import transactions to look at things such as if they do impact the environment negatively or how do we try and promote the guys to be more socially responsible and try and provide a rebate within that. So I think there's not really a lot of data available, but whatever 
there are some data points that are coming up in different areas. I think the collision of that will help us or guide us to start pricing these appropriately. I think we can price these. I believe we can price these. We just need the data points. The data points are there, but however, we need to surface the data for everyone else to be able to evaluate and make an informed decision. So with the guidance, I think some of the governments have jumped ahead and they give us that comfort to say, look, if you try and promote sustainable trade, these are some of the benefits or incentives that you could get. So that does provide us input into our pricing models where we can probably even provide such incentives for some of our customers that are trying to either import from a responsible country or responsible importers or source responsible goods. Thank you very much. And I guess, you know, Standard Bank, like many, are on, on this journey and this road towards sustainable trade finance. And there are a lot of hurdles and pillars from definitions to regulations to pricing and incentives to good data and good information that can provide the insights on all of the rest. So both of you, thank you very much for those kind of three spotlight sessions in and around trade and trade finance. And and I want to ask one concluding question, just summarizing on those three topics of digitalization, compliance and risk and sustainability. I'm going to ask you to give a short, a medium and a long-term view on what your banks need to prioritize on when it comes to moving forwards, accelerating trade digitization, sustainability, alongside all of the hurdles, challenges, and potentially opportunities. So what's your short-term priority, medium-term priority, and long-term priority? Who wants to go first? Covenant, you want to go first? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to do that. Please. So, I mean, just to give you a context of how we go about things in Africa, Exim Bank, we run what we call five-year strategic planning cycles. In the final year of our current strategic plan, our priorities were around promoting intra-African trade, industrialization and export development, trade finance leadership. So those were key pillars that we focused on. And in that journey, we've sort of laid the foundation in terms of, number one, creating the enabling environment for access to information, creating seamless uh, payment gateways. We now have our Pan-African payments and settlement system where people can buy and sell in their local currencies cross-border. So we've done all of those elements. As we move into the next plan, it's very much using those building blocks to drive industrialization and drive growth in in intra-African trade. For us, the key long-term benefit is where the majority of trade in Africa is amongst us as member countries. That's the long-term goal of and the reason why this bank was set up. To do so means we need to provide that industrial capacity in the different countries to ensure that we are benefit from advantages that are inherent across the continent, that we are producing things that we ourselves want to consume. So yes, the long-term vision for us is an Africa that relies very much on itself, still an integral part of the world trade economy, but with intra-African trade driven by the AFCFTA as the foundation of how Africa trades. I think from my side, if I look at our strategic view as a bank, so our motto is that Africa is our home and we drive her growth. So we believe utilizing tools such as digitization, will help us grow the continent as well as promote some of the ecosystems. So we believe in banking the entire value chain as well as the ecosystem, collaborate with a number of stakeholders 
to try and ensure that we don't leave anyone behind. We bring Africa to the world as well as the world to Africa. In saying that, we believe that partnering with uh, the likes of Afrizim Bank as well as other multinational will help us promote trade across the continent. We are participating in the Africa Trade Agreement, whereby we're trying to see how do we champion some of the initiatives to ensure that the continent is sustainable, as well as it can promote intercontinental trade among itself and help SMEs grow and help the continent produce and secure and eradicate poverty. So our long-term strategy is to become an African bank that is for Africa and also promote trade across Africa. Digitization involved in a number of projects whereby and initiatives whereby we're trying to partner with fintechs or any other experts to help us ensure that we are collaborating and are engaged with the customer on the ground and not necessarily just pushing Standard Bank products to the customer, but understand and hear the voice of the customer and understand what that need is. And then with that, we go internally and assess to say, how do we partner with everyone else to help the continent grow, to ensure that the continent is sustainable in future, ensure that we are quite responsible, ensuring that we're investing in the best technology to ensure that transparency as well as um, financial crimes are either reduced on the ground, ensure that we partner with regulators and collaborate with them to ensure that all the rules and regulations that are much more friendlier to trading on the African continent. I think that's at a high level that I can put it at. Thank you very much, Krabina and Isaac, for your absolutely inspirational and informative views and what an excellent panel session for all of our viewers. I'm sure people will be taking lots back home and back to the table and back to decision making. It's been an absolute pleasure having you and on behalf of both Trade Finance Global and also ICC Austria's Trade Finance Week, huge thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you, thank you Dipesh and thank you to ICC. Good to meet you, Kavina. Thank you, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com. 